better get this going. The guy that did communion and offering took a little too long. Long-winded folks. We're in, we're in James. We're going to be in James chapter 2. This is our fourth lesson from the letter of James. And we call it Wisdom's Harvest because God is going to give us wisdom, but he's using that. He's giving us that wisdom so that he can bring about a new creation in us. Uh, let's pray before we read the word of God together, okay? Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would bless us in the, in the reading and the hearing of your word. And Father, most of all, I pray that then we'll ponder it and we'll ask ourselves and we'll ask one another how we need to act to put this word into practice. And I pray most of all, Father, that you would give us the wisdom to know how that ought to be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From James chapter 2, verse 14, James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you give that person no food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and it's useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say that you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and at least they tremble in terror. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Kind of an interesting ending there, isn't it? Clicking along, you got a Bible lesson, and then all of a sudden he brings up Rahab. Rahab has a middle name, just like Kermit the Frog. Her middle name is The. Depending on how long you've been reading the Bible, she might even be known as Rahab T. Harlot. Um, you know, I think James knew exactly what he was doing when he brought that up. Because he's trying to show us 
that it's not the reputation that we get stuck on us by other people that matters. It's what we do when we say that we believe that God is one. In James chapter 1, verse 18, now just to remind you, he said God chose to give us new birth through the message of truth. He wanted us to be the first harvest of his new creation. Sometimes we look at James as if it's just a, a, a sort of a, a, a stew of little wise sayings. That it's some sort of potpourri of wisdom and good ideas. But there's a thread. There's a consistency to it. It's all working together. And what James is doing is he's laying out a description of what it means to be the first harvest of that new creation. To be a people who are saved by God. And then he's describing how we are to act and how we are to speak. In fact, he picks that up in James 2.13 when he says, In every way then. Do you know how many ways are every ways? All of them. That means whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, wherever you do, you do it, you speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom rather than the law of judgment. He says there will be no mercy in judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. Why? Because mercy is better than judgment. You know, the good news of our day, the good news of our age, I'm talking about the good news that, 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 that's offered to you out there in the big wide world is that you can come into a no judgment zone and no one will judge you. The message of the world today is that no judgment is better than judgment. Doesn't quite ring as poetic, does it, as James 2.13? No. Because all we're saying there is, is we're not going to judge you. But then what if somebody does judge somebody? Well, then we're going to judge them. But you said there's no judgment. Well, I know, but there's only judgment for people who judge. Isn't that a judgment? Wait, are you judging me for judging people? Yes. You see how it goes. Because we've taken away something that really we don't need to be doing, which is judging others, and we've replaced it with nothing good. We've cast out the evil spirit, but we haven't replaced it with anything else. James says the replacement is mercy. That if you remove the judgment... Get out of the business of judging and replace it with mercy. Then what you're going to find is you're going to find that you're living by a different law. It's the law of freedom. And it's going to be much easier to speak and act like people who've been shown God's mercy. Now in these verses that we've just read, James talks about what we do and why we do it and how faith and action must work together. There's three things I want to say about that to get us to focus on. And, and here's where I want to start pointing out to you in this series of lessons. That when you read James, he sounds a lot like Jesus. That may be because they are half-brothers. It may also, but not necessarily. Because if you read the Gospels, um, Jesus' brothers and his mother were trying to protect him and save him, and they really didn't like this ministry that he was on. At some point, James became a disciple of Jesus, who he didn't just call brother, but called Lord. And that's how James wants to be known. And James sounds a lot like Matthew's gospel. 
and it would be, if you've read James so many times that you don't know what else to read, read Matthew's gospel then right now. You'll find an interesting similarity between the two. It's not just James, but the wisdom of Scripture says that faith without any kind of action is just useless. It does no good. Jesus, in, in Matthew 25, is telling a story about what it's going to be like in the end. And, and, and again, he's, he's, uh, he's describing things with, with language that we understand, but obviously it's going to be far greater than all of this. But he says it's going to be like a king, and he's going to be dividing his people, and he's going to be dividing the sheep from the goats. And the sheep, by the way, in this scenario, are the good guys, and the goats are the bad guys. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know what the real problem is with goats, but you get the picture. People are being separated out. Uh, and both groups, Jesus has something to say. For the goats, he says, you saw me in all of these situations of need, and you didn't do anything. Just like James when he says, if you see somebody in need and you say, boy, I pray that you do well. I pray you get some clothes. I pray you get a jacket because it's going to be cold tonight. And are you doing anything about it? No, but I'm praying for you. Okay, well, that doesn't do anybody any good. In this Matthew 25 description, he says that those who, um, who saw Jesus in all those situations and didn't do anything for them, they asked the question, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and we did not help you? And his answer is, when you ignored any of my kids, any of my people, the, the smallest, the, the, the most unimportant in your eyes, it's as good as if you ignored me. Now when he says to the sheep, Hey, you saw me in all those desperate situations, and you helped me. Do you know what they say? The same thing. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and we didn't help you? Both groups say the same thing. Lord, we don't remember seeing you out there like that. Both groups would have said, Lord, if we'd seen you, we would have gladly helped you. So what is the difference between the two groups? One acted, one did not. One did something about the needs that they saw. One did not. That's what separates them. Which is James's point. That if you say you believe this, that this is the right thing to do, and you don't do anything about it, it's useless. Now, a word to all of you who are anxious every Sunday because you realize that in the past week you haven't saved the world. First of all, he's just asking us to act on the things that we believe to be true. We're not being asked to fix all the problems in the world. I remember being in Glasgow, Scotland, in 1991. Karen and I were on our way to get back on the, the bus to go back to uh, the meeting. Had a new convert with us, young man who had just recently been baptized. This man comes flying out in the street in front of us. I mean, he's moving, okay? He's being ejected from a pub. The pub owner doesn't want him because he's drunk. He stumbles. He gets his face all bloody. He's, he's, he's you know, looking for his way, trying to orient himself. 
And I have a decision to make now. I've got my young wife. I've got my friend with me, the new convert. And I'm saying, you know what? We're late. Let's keep moving. So we keep trucking on our way. The new convert says, shouldn't we help that guy? Oh, he did it to himself. He, you know, I mean, he's, he's in there drinking himself blind. I mean, you know, it's a fair place. Yeah. Finally, I quit making excuses. And I said, you're right. You're right. It was right in front of us. Literally, you're right. We go back around there. A sanitation worker is helping him up and helping him find his way. This is, this is over 25 years ago, and I still remember this. And what I've learned from that is God did not put me on earth to solve the problems of alcoholism in Scotland. I, you know, no way. And... Uh, he just asked me to show kindness to someone who had fallen on the ground in front of me. See? We don't have to fix things. We just have to act on the faith that we have. If we don't, then what do we really believe in? Faith without action is useless. The second thing goes right along with that. James is saying, you believe? Let's see it. You know, there's a very popular quote, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Yes. St. Francis of Assisi said that never. He didn't say it. It's attributed to St. Francis, but he never said anything like it. In fact, I get the idea, you get the idea, some of you have shared that with me, I've probably preached that, you know, the idea is, hey, do good deeds, you know, and then words. Okay, if you take it with a grain of salt, it's got a good message. If you take it literally, it's, it's, it's wrong. If you take it literally, the message is in error. This is not an either-or condition. Because if you make it an either-or condition, hey, Benjamin, people like you can preach, that's fine. You keep up with the preaching. I'm just going to go out and do good deeds. And while you're wasting everybody's time keeping us from lunch, we'll go out and actually help some people. If that's the truth, then let's stop coming to church and let's just go out and fix the world next Sunday. Faith and works is not an either-or condition. We tend to make it into a situation where it's, look, you do this and I'll do this. You can either use words or you can preach the gospel. Have we not considered that it's a both-and? That the words that we attach to things have meaning. That when we see the little kids come up here and they give and they put their money in the little jar and we say, that's cute. Okay, it is. But there's more to it than that. This is, this is taking down what they're doing when they do this. It's breaking down strongholds of evil. It's taking care of problems of poverty. It is equipping God's saints around the world to glorify his name. Yeah. Now, I just told you, and I put words on what that is. Now, we've got to live up to those words. But that's what we do with everything. We attach word. We attach meaning to things. So, let's not preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Let's preach the gospel with word and preach the gospel with deed. 
Preach the gospel in words and deeds, in every way. Speak and act as those who have received the message of truth. You can do it. You might say, well, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Good. We don't need a bunch of eloquent speakers. We need people who don't speak very well to preach the gospel. Well, I can't preach the gospel like you, Benjamin. Good. I hope you don't. You can do better. People need to preach the gospel that they know. You know, one of the things that we do at Celebrate Recovery is we have this thing called testimonies. And i got to admit, I went into it and I thought, testimonies? Oh, no. There's no telling where this is going to go. I mean, half the time I'm up here and I'm preaching my notes and then I go off my notes. Like I'm doing right now at this very moment. And I'm thinking, boy, if you don't do that, you can really chase some rabbits. But no, that's not what we do. We have people write it out. If I give my testimony in there, I'm going to write it out. Because that story that we tell is not just a story about us. It's a story about what God has done. Do You can tell people that God has done something for you. That's gospel. And people need to hear what it is in your case. What you've been through. I tell people all the time, and I'm so, I'm, I'm, they come in, and I can tell that they're nervous about coming to a congregation of this size, and they say, listen, folks don't know what I've been through. And I said, oh, listen, I'm going to assure you of something. Whatever it is that you've been through, somebody else has been through the same thing. And the same God that they worship loves you just as much. And just like they've been healed, you can be healed too. Let's preach the gospel in words and deeds. It's consistency. That James is calling for. And finally, James talks about what it means to be justified or made right with God. Uh, we, we all want to be made right with God. But being made right with God is not a process that we get to control. It's not a process that we get to decide, okay, look, I'll do this and then God will have to save me. It's a matter of complete trust. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 25, the uh, story that we just told earlier, is having a concern with the Pharisees. In Matthew 16, he warns his disciples, he says, be very careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven was the, uh, the, the unseen starter that would cause bread to rise. It had, a, it had kind of a, uh, a contagious effect, a viral effect. Remember, this is, these are People are describing this without any interest or any idea about microorganisms. They just know that there's influence. So when he's saying, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, he says, you need to watch out for their influence. And people who, like us, are well-intentioned and we want to do things right, we are particularly vulnerable to that influence. We can spend so much time fussing and worrying and grieving over words and traditions and rituals. And we can wonder, is this right? Is that right? We'd better get a ruling on this. We'd better decide. And we'd better not have anything to do with anybody who does things different. Not at all. Because if we do, then we'll be responsible for what they did. And it's a never-ending process. We've spent so much energy making sure our our doctrine is correct and our policies stand up. What about 
speaking and acting like those who've been saved by the message of truth. Not our message, but God's message. Not, not our policies, but God's way of living. The way that he preached the kingdom of heaven. James is looking at all of this from the vantage point of the kingdom of heaven. And so he mentions two examples. I mean, it's easy to bring up Abraham. Our father Abraham, the great patriarch. Everything starts with Abraham from the perspective of Israel. Abraham is Israel, Jacob's grandfather. It all starts there. I'm going to call Abraham. I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Yes, great Abraham. Abraham had to prove, he had to show that he trusted in God, not in the offspring that God gave him to continue Abraham's legacy. Are you willing to give him up, Abraham? Abraham's willing. He's willing to take that risk. Okay. It's good to bring up Abraham. He trusted in God. But then James comes up with this very interesting other example. Oh, by the way, the furthest thing you could come up with besides the patriarch Abraham is the prostitute Rahab. I, I mean, she is not listed in the, the great, you know, hall of heroes, you know. Oh, yeah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Rahab. <laughs> because we get a little embarrassed about Rahab's profession. But the point is, she recognized God's truth. She recognized that the spies that came into Jericho, they represented God. And so she acted on it. She took a risk by hiding them. James is saying, whether you're Abraham or you're Rahab, do you trust God? You can fuss over a lot of things, but do you trust God? Because when you trust God, he makes you right. You can't do it on your own. So, we have this option in front of us. We can be tempted to please God with our well-intentioned efforts to get everything right. Or we can trust God to make us right and then humbly and obediently speak and act as those who've been shown mercy, which is better than judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, teach us today to go out and speak words of truth and live words of truth and Father, if we need to begin that with ourselves, we, I pray that everyone here will be motivated to, to have a little quiet time with you, a conversation with you at some point today, and they won't miss that opportunity. That you'll give us wisdom and you'll make it clear to us what we need to do. And Father, if those conversations need to happen among the people here in this congregation or the, the people anywhere who are listening to this, I pray that, that you would... Make those conversations happen as well. And Father, I pray that you will help us to understand what it means to be obedient, to submerge our lives into the life of Jesus Christ, to surrender everything and give our lives to you where we know that it will be kept more safely than in any program, principle, or procedure that we come up with ourselves. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to remind you that as we sing this last song, uh, shepherds will be down here to listen.
to you. Maybe you need to make a decision to follow Jesus today. Maybe you need to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you just need some encouragement to speak and act as those who've uh, been shown mercy. There's a little room right out there in the lobby. It's the only room off that lobby. You can go there and meet with elders in private too. Don't let the day go by without acting on what it is that God's called you to do. Let's stand. Let's sing.